0: Basically, entering into a sexual situation without another subject there, without another person who, at least hopefully in a good situation, would be navigating from a self authoring point of view. So, there's someone to deal with, someone to relate to, someone to share the collaboration of a sexual experience together. So, pornography is essentially non collaborative and it's a way to get to sexual pleasure without having to face the complexity and the challenge of dealing with another human being.
1: Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach.
0: And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside
1: the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 31 of The Art of We. Today, we're gonna be talking about pornography And specifically, when pornography has a negative impact on a partnership. Before we get into that topic, I want to specifically say thank you so much to those people who left us reviews. I can't tell you how much joy it brings both of us to get to read your comments. I remember before starting a podcast, I actually never really left reviews because I was like, they're probably not going to see them anyway. They're probably not going to read them. Does it make a difference? They can't respond to me on this platform, but since having a podcast and getting to receive your, your reviews and comments, I can tell you that they're deeply meaningful and they bring us so much joy. So thank you so much for doing that. Okay, so pornography. Will, how are you feeling about this topic today? It's a
0: little anxiety-provoking to talk about pornography, and you already said this, but I just want to briefly underline, we're talking about the kind of situation with pornography that has a negative impact on couples. This is not to say that that's always the case. Correct. You know, just like anything, alcohol, marijuana, psychedelics, whatever, there's relationships with it that don't have to be
1: a serious problem. In terms of like where there could be an addiction. Exactly. We're talking about addiction here, right? Right. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about this from kind of a binary perspective like the female male perspective because that's our experience and we just want to acknowledge that there's a lot of different kinds of experiences within pornography and pornography addiction and we're excited to share ours today
0: let's get into it
1: okay i thought that i would share a little bit from the female perspective about a couple experiences that i've had prior to you in relationship that has to do with pornography so there's two different scenarios I'm going to share in contrast with each other. So first I'm going to talk about, I'm going to call him Mr. X. So Mr. X, all these men are wonderful, brilliant men that I want to just give a shout out for their brilliance and their positivity and all the things that come with them and the challenges of pornography. So Mr. X, at the very start of our partnership, our relationship, he called out to me and said, I have a pornography addiction And I just want to make sure that you are up for this journey and willing to navigate this journey with me. And with him saying that, especially out of the gates, like I didn't have to find it out myself. I didn't have to try to get it out of him. That created a lot of trust for me with him. And it actually created a really inspiring challenge for me of like, great. Like the kind of way that I do we is like, let's figure this out together. Like, are you willing to... Work with this and try to address it. And he's like, I am so ready. I'm so willing. I need help. I want help. And so that really became an explicit conversation inside of our partnership. So then it became a really manageable and tolerable conversation. Even when it got hard, we were both willing to show up for the conversation and figure out what needed to happen.
0: I'm really impressed with the level of honesty and just, you know, self disclosure, self knowledge. And it makes sense that you know, it had an impact on you that didn't scare you away because it sounds like there was a lot of self-responsibility. So I love that example. Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And then I'll call the second guy, Mr. Y. And again, a brilliant being. But the challenge with pornography there was that it wasn't an explicit conversation. So inside of partnership, even if and when there were opportunities to bring it forward, it didn't happen. And so it ended up that he did have a relationship with pornography. Now, if there was an addiction, I'm not quite sure, but it was in the shadows and it, it wasn't talked about. And when I would mistakenly come across something that indicated that he was viewing pornography, I got really scared to bring it up. And when I did bring it up, it was like denial, diminishing my experience, diminishing my sensitivity, maybe a little bit of gaslighting in there. And it was pretty much a topic that became like, okay, we can't talk about this. And I felt the kind of cultural pull towards, oh, this is just how it's dealt with in in society. It's like it's just in the shadows, and I don't want to talk about it either because it's painful. And so that became an unmanaged third inside of our partnership. And we've talked about these unmanaged thirds that Stantec and I believe started that coined that term, which is basically when there's a an element outside of the partnership that then is influencing the partnership in a way that isn't sovereign. Like it's impacting it in a way that the couple isn't deciding it wants that impact.
0: Yeah. So in this case, sounds like a really charged topic that couldn't really be talked about. So how did you relate to that if it wasn't something that was allowed to be talked about?
1: I think the deeper layers were, I'm not okay I'm not sexy enough or beautiful enough to get whatever need he has there to be fulfilled. There's something missing in our relationship. Yeah. It definitely wasn't like a a secure feeling. It was an insecure feeling that then bled into other areas of relationship because this is feels like a very foundational piece of being able to trust each other and love each other and expose the shadows. So the shadow stayed in the shadow and we, I don't think we could have gotten to secure functioning with something that big in the shadow.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should talk a little bit about the male physiology. And again, we're in a binary conversation here, but in the male physiology, it's sort of stereotypically, I think, true for a lot of men, maybe most, not all men, but most men, where sexual arousal has a strongly visual component to it. Yeah. And... I think this is not completely different from women, but it's different. And I think this represents the hardware can help us understand why men look at women's when they're on the street, you know, why it's not feeling great for women to work out in a public gym where they're getting checked out all the time. Mm. It's not to say that women don't check out men, Mm -hmm. but anyway, the point of my thesis here is that... Pornography is something that men consume a lot more than women do. Right. And I remember reading somewhere that more than half of the content on the internet is pornography. I don't know if that's true, but I remember reading that. Wow. And so it gives you a sense of just how pervasive this is in our culture, Mm -hmm. the use of pornography. When I was a little kid growing up in the 70s, I think the first time I got exposed to pornography was around age maybe... Well, I guess it was early 80s because I was I think I was twelve. But the again, the going back to statistics and culture, little boys are getting exposed to pornography way earlier now that Mm -hmm. we have the internet. And Mm -hmm. so this is an incredibly pervasive presence in our culture. Mm -hmm. And what I think we need to think about when we think about addiction and pornography is the when we think about the impact on a relationship. One of the things that's happening there is the relationship that a man has to orgasm or to masturbation or sexual pleasure is incredibly different in front of pornography than it is in front of a actual human being.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A person who's having a human experience, a, a subjective, they're a subject in the world. And so there's a huge power dynamic that goes on of looking at pornography where basically entering into a sexual situation without another subject there, without another person who, at least hopefully in a good situation, would be navigating from a self-authoring point of view. So there's someone to deal with, someone to relate to, someone to share the collaboration of a sexual experience together. So pornography is essentially non-collaborative, and it's a way to get to sexual pleasure without having to face the complexity and the challenge of dealing with another human being
1: right and just hearing you say that that it just feels so intense in my body and my system as a female in this binary conversation that we're having and being related to sexually as not a subject but an object and feeling that on some level and knowing it but not even knowing how to talk about it because we as females in some form most of us run into those images too as well in our lifetime or maybe we're watching those images ourselves. but there is this messaging that this is the way it's supposed to be because of pornography and I just feel the intensity in my system I feel the anger and the rage and the sadness in my system as you're talking about that not because not blaming men about that but just because of the setup of that is what is so enraging to me. Because nobody wins there. Nobody f- wins. Excuse me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's difficult for men to relate. Again, I'm speaking in generalities here, but I think it's often really hard for men to relate to that experience you're talking about of being objectified sexually. Right. Men might have the experience of getting objectified in other ways you know, when you're working for someone and you're not really seen as a human being, you're just like a cog on the wheel of the machine and you're just told, you know, go do this. And there's no attention to, you know, that as a worker, like you're having a subject, you're having a human experience, a subjective experience.
1: Right. Or a woman who's really interested in money and she's just after his money making capacities and she's not giving him love, but she's just like bring home the bacon. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So having said that, I think that I wanna share, I don't know, should we go to a break first?
1: We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements. Agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing and thriving as a couple. And they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance, and now back to the episode. Welcome back. Before will you start to share some of your experiences historically in partnerships around pornography, I just want to add one last little piece about the objectification impacts. What I love about our relationship is that we have the capacity and the willingness to talk about where there might be other implications of objectification that aren't intentional, but are so deeply rooted in our culture that when they come up, I think a big part of this piece around the sexual objectification gets activated because it's so painful. And I love that we can dive into these conversations. We can hang with the conversations and we can appreciate the impacts and we can get to a learning around this and What I want to really invite people who are listening, you who is listening, I want to ask you just in this moment, like, what is your partnership like and can you have these kinds of conversations currently? And if you can't, I want to breathe possibility into learning how to have these kinds of conversations, because I think that if we're ever feeling as as females in this binary conversation, objectified in some form, it's so hard to access our actual pleasure, our actual aliveness our deeper wells of bottomless inspiration and our capacity to really have the kind of partnership that we're standing for here on The Art of We. So I just want to name that. And Will, I would love to hear you share about your experience with pornography historically.
0: Before I go into sharing those experiences, I just also want to invite the listener to, and this could be a male listener or female listener, to look at, The presence of the use of pornography or not in your relationship, and what, how's it being talked about? How's it being related to? Mm -hmm. When we talk about addiction in this context, what I'm relating to is a kind of go to alternative to dealing with the complexity of being in partnership with a human being Mm -hmm. and taking a shortcut to pleasure, physical, sexual pleasure, orgasm. As a way of saying no to whatever the complexity of the challenges in front of you, and just going toward, I just want to release, or I just want to get away from this complex right. situation. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with self pleasure. There's nothing wrong with masturbation. There's nothing wrong with looking at pornography. Um, but we're yes. talking about more of a pervasive pattern of how you're dealing with your partnership, right? How you're showing up. And that leads into how I used to show up in relationship. <laughs> and I think that early on in my 20s, I'm thinking about college and beyond college. Uh, in relationships I was in, I would often go to pornography instead of relating to the complexity of the person in front of me. Mm. And I think there were a lot of reasons for that, maybe the most important one to share here is that I didn't know, I didn't have the tools and I don't think my partners had the tools either to develop the kind of deep collaboration that you and I have. And there was value for me in escaping short-term escapes out of the discomfort of relationships that were insecure, that Mm -hmm. didn't have a feeling of relaxation and having each other's back and navigating these challenges together as a a we.
1: Right, like the perspective of our wounds are our wounds, not your wound is your wound to go deal with and you're defective in some form.
0: Right, and having these situations that you mentioned earlier of topics that can't be talked about in a relationship. I'm wondering, again, if this is something that the listener can relate to is like, what are the sacred cows or the things that you and your partner have kind of settled into maybe over weeks or months or years, or maybe you had some conflicts about this topic or other topics and you kind of decided, well, you know what, we have a lot more fun together if we never talk about this again.
1: Right. And the impacts that you probably aren't super conscious about as a result of those non-conversations.
0: Yeah. So we want to encourage you to see the possibility that there are relationships. And, you know, I'm happy to say that you and I have one of those relationships where nothing is off the table. Anything can be talked about. Yeah. And that's part of our commitment is to talk about everything.
1: Yeah. And I think a big part of that is because of what's possible when you do that. Like the air is clear. The energy is vibrant between us. There's not these kind of stuck pockets that are becoming stale and untouchable that then have a real impact, even if it's not visible, meaning like everything looks fine from the outside.
0: 100%. And I also want to give a shout out to a mentor of mine, Gabor Mate, who some of you may know his work. He's currently got a bestseller called The Myth of Normal, which is about our toxic culture. When I met Gabor in my late 30s, he was and still is beating the drum about addiction of what problem is the addiction solving for the person, right? And he did a lot of work with heroin addicts where by and large, every single one of them, when carefully interviewed about their childhood said that, you know, they had huge trauma in the connection with their caregiver in early childhood. So that kind of understanding about what leads to addiction can be super helpful. And it certainly helped me in regards to my relationship with addiction to, well, I wouldn't say addiction to pornography, but I was definitely using it as a way to solve a problem.
1: And what was the impact then on your relationships that you can now see that maybe you couldn't see back then?
0: Well, it kept me at a safe distance, so to speak, from the women I was with. I say safe distance, but you know, there's
1: a huge cost to that. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't feeling fully vulnerable and connected in the way you could because it was more safe to not bring these topics up.
0: Definitely. I mean, I I fit more into the Mr. Y category, Mm -hmm. uh, who you talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. the one who would hide and not want to deal with the aftermath of being caught looking at pornography or doesn't want to have a difficult conversation about the sexual dynamics and the partnership. And I'll just go over here in my silo and relieve myself and then, you know, get back to the work of whatever's in front of me.
1: Do you think that they knew that that was happening?
0: Oh, definitely. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I dated smart women. (laughs) (laughs) There's no question in my mind that they knew that was going on, but there was also a complicity in it, right? There was a a shared unconscious or unspoken agreement that, you know, you're going to go over there and do that so that you're not bringing a lot of Mm. grasping or over pursuing or over desire, uh, bringing too much, too much sexual energy.
1: That's a whole other thing that would be interesting to talk about.
0: Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure.
1: So, I want to hear more about what you navigated that you want to share, but I also want to hear too about you said something when we were preparing for this podcast about how the images of pornography can actually change the brain. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So, and I can't remember the specifics of the research on this, but what happens when you watch a lot of pornography is you develop images in your mind that then play out when you're having a sexual experience with an actual human being. Mm. And so your brain naturally is going to compare the images that you've looked at on a computer to what's happening in front of you. And so you're going to be influenced in terms of the things that you want to do, the positions you want to be in, the kind of scenes you want to play out in the bedroom
1: mm-hmm.
0: based on what you've seen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what you connected your sexual pleasure to online.
1: Right, which is also a very, like, I perspective, a soloed perspective. So I would imagine there's not actually, one, a deep connection with your real desire in that moment with the person, and two, there's not like a shared, connected experience around pleasure.
0: Right. So two things, you're compulsively repeating patterns that don't allow you to have a free and expressive experience for yourself but you're also casting your partner into a role that they didn't sign up for
1: (laughs) right and that probably doesn't feel that great for them right physically i would guess yeah yeah thanks for sharing that
0: yeah so i get curious again about what's happening for the listener and in your partnership and your relationship what's the conversation or lack thereof about this pervasive presence in our culture of pornography that's readily available at the press of a button
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for the women, when you are in intimacy with your partner, are you acting out anything that actually isn't true to you based on what you think you should be doing, you should be feeling, you should be saying inside of that dynamic with your partner? Or are you really deeply exploring what actually feels really pleasurable for you? And are you in that conversation with your partner? Before we close, well, I'd love for you to also share how pornography is showing up for you inside of our partnership.
0: (laughs) That's a great closer. (laughs) So one of the things that I've discovered about pornography, I mean, first of all, I'll say that um, the interesting experience over here is that having the kind of emotional contact and connection that I have with you that I've always wanted in my life has, and I can honestly say this has completely erased the desire or the wish to look at pornography Mm. so since the time that we met i haven't consumed pornography at all and that's like i said pretty different from how i was in my 20s in my early life so yeah i don't know if this is true for all guys but i do want to challenge the guys who are listening to consider the possibility that if you make the effort to develop the kind of relationship that gives you the kind of emotional contact that you truly desire, you might notice that this Mm. pressure or this tendency to wanna go look at pornography changes. It might change. It did for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was radical for me, really
1: different. Mm -hmm. I love that invitation.
0: Yeah, so the pain that drives the addiction or the movement toward immediate pleasure, short-term pleasure, is really important to to look at. It's important to break it down and, and try to understand what is that pain exactly.
1: Is there anything of Gabor Maté's that you would recommend since he's really focused around addiction?
0: Well, I would send people to YouTube because there's some amazing videos of Gabor just teaching in YouTube. The, Great great book he has on addiction is called In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts, where he talks about his work with uh, heroin addicts over many years in Vancouver.
1: Well, I just want to say how meaningful it is to hear about your journey with pornography and that really working this emotional connection and having the kind of resources and tools that we have to stay connected has made a difference with you in, in your relationship with pornography. As your partner, it just has me wake up even more to the power of the we and the connection and the agreements that we have to keep us as well as possible. And whether it's pornography or any other topic, I just want to say thank you here for being willing to navigate all of these different areas of shadow together and wounds together that we get to navigate because it's truly a life changer for me to have you as my partner and to get to do this together. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for that. It's incredibly transformative for me. Obviously, to receive the quality of love that you give me and give our puppies <laughs> <laughs> our family.
1: Yeah. Thanks.
0: I'm very grateful for the dream of this deep soul healing coming true in our relationship and I think that's such a big part of what we stood for in creating this podcast is to pull the curtain back and share that deep healing at the deepest level. Relational wounds can heal. Yes. And you can create the partnership of your dreams. It can happen. And it's happening here and it's happening with other people. So yeah, we uh, are taking a stand for folks not to get discouraged and settle for less.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that means you, our dear listener, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next week on the next podcast. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Podcast.
0: And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.